Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. The show with the host that once played Romeo in a school play, and when he killed himself, Juliet lived happily ever after. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine, coming to you way, 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 way pre-recorded. Because right now, as you're listening to this, we are in Orlando helping my son and his fiance move into their house. So we're in the middle of our week down there. But this week on uh, Pipe Parts, uh, we have a blend review, and it's the Solani Yellow or Virginia Flake or Blend 633, whatever you want to, whatever name you choose to call it. Uh, and then my guest again is the uh, part two of Sykes Wilford and Tony Santiago, and uh, yeah, you'll uh, you'll hear me uh, goof up and you know. You, I got I got the scheduling out of whack, so I went ahead went ahead and ran them both this week. So you get them back to back, uh, and then uh, music mailbag and rant, all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. And uh, just a reminder, uh, well, let, let's get through all the reminders here. First of all, you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are in order to listen to this fine show. If you are on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or uh, Stitcher, or Spotify, wherever you can, please rate and review the Pipes Magazine radio show. That would be absolutely wonderful. Uh, share the Pipes Magazine radio show with all your friends and enemies and let them know about it. And, uh, you know, wherever you are, Twitter. Facebook, I don't know, just share the show out there, appreciate that, Uh, brand new shows, post every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and then are available for uh, eternity or until the server crashes because of all the data on it, so... (laughs) There you go. All that. And of course, fall weather is upon us. And when you're out uh, out and about, please make sure and take your pipe out there. It's a great way to stay away from people, but it's a great way for them to see a pipe smoker and uh, see what a modern day pipe smoker looks like. So there you go. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. And here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. back on the pipes magazine radio show and this time blend review and this was one that i was looking forward to because i i haven't i haven't smoked 633 in probably uh 10 years so i was i was looking forward to revisiting this blend and was uh, gifted a tin that had been opened and a bowl or two smoked out of it and then forwarded on to me um so with that being said uh, it now can, it now comes in the round can like so many of the European tobaccos that were in the little square tins do. I that doesn't bother me, and for, that doesn't bother me for two reasons. One, for aging, there's more air in the can. More air in the can means that it'll age a little bit faster. Uh, and two, the round cans hold their seal a lot better than those square tins did. So it benefits us that are going to age these. Uh, now this tobacco, this tin was purchased literally like two months ago, and I understand there's a little bit of a supply issue on Solani, so you know again it's it's fairly fresh. Um, made by uh, I'll go to TobaccoReviews.com for the description, and it comes from uh, Cole House and Cop and was blended by uh, uh, by R L Will. Um, and that's where the Reiner, uh, the Reiner and Solani lines come. 
Uh, I think it's been on the market since 2001. But here's the description. Specially selected red Virginias from the Old Belt and ripe, bright Virginias sweetened with Louisiana Perique build up this masterpiece of tobacco blending in flake slices. So when they're talking about red Virginias from the Old Belt, they're talking about uh, North Carolina and Virginia. And then when they're talking about bright Virginias, uh, notice there's no description of where it's from. So my guess is that these are actually African Virginias. Uh, the tin note is exactly what you would expect from a Virginia Perique. Uh, it's not that, uh, the, the Perique is not that forward in it, but the Perique does help back down what I would call the traditional grassiness of the bright Virginias. The thing that I noticed that, and again, this came to me opened once before, but boy, was it wet. Um, I mean, just gooey wet. I don't, I, I tried smoking a small bowl of it straight out of the wetness of it, and uh, that wasn't going to happen for me. So if you get this, I would suggest rubbing out, uh, you know, taking out a couple of flakes, prepping them the way you want, and letting them sit out on a paper towel or a piece of paper or something. Let them dry down because, I mean, this thing was wet. Um, once I got it dried down, then I did my normal Virginia routine with it. And this is, again, this is why I suggest that everybody has different size pipes for different occasions. Um, I moved around into a couple of different sizes with it and found that like most of the straight Virginias, this one smoked better in one of my smaller straight Virginia pipes. Uh, one of, one of the smaller pipes that I use for Virginias. This one did not do well when I took it up in size and went to one of the Virginia, one of the pipes that I would normally use Virginia Perique for. And I think it's because, you know, it smells like there is some sort of a, a, a base sweetener in there and the Perique is not that much forward. Uh, and keep in mind that a lot of these blenders use Perique as a way to um, calm down a Virginia that is not, uh, that's burning a little hot. Uh, so with that being said, you can get it, you can get it hot, but treat it more like a Virginia than you would a Virginia Perique. Don't expect that big Perique bomb aftertaste. Yeah, it's It gives you a pleasant aftertaste. I think my, my wife even commented that the tin, that the aroma in the room was kind of nice and sweet versus my usual uh, periquiness that she sometimes describes as burning sweat socks. Um, anyway, going back to uh, going back to tobaccoreviews.com, uh, I found the, I found a couple of really old reviews that I thought were interesting and the, the accounts have been uh, deactivated by the people that wrote them. but this one was a one-star rating that described it as strong and full. And he, and the, and the reviewer said, uh, this was an, uh, this one is a sweet Virginia Perique flake. Unlike many blends of this sort, it has a little bite to it and is a pretty friendly Virginia tobacco, though it can still get you if you're not careful. The Perique really livens the blend up and gives it some added interest over various pure Virginia blends of this sort. It's very bright and clear and would be well suited to an air-cured Italian pipe. <laughs> and I like how uh, I like how very specific he got on air-cured Italian pipe. And my guess is also that he's not a big Perique person. Um, going to a more current review that was done uh, just over the summer, uh, Pikey Mick writes, uh, four stars, medium, uh, flavoring extremely mild, taste medium to full. Uh, he writes, very nice jar note, fresh hay with a fruity beer base note. Nice looking brown speckled flakes. I smoked a flake straight out of the tin, folded and stuffed it in the tomahawk, which is a tall, narrow bowl. And the second flake I rubbed out and allowed to air for 20 minutes and used the three-pinch meth method in the Mexico. I'm not sure what the Mexico is. Uh, the first bowl needed three lights to get going, but then it smoked to the bottom of the bowl, leaving a surprisingly small amount of white ash. 
bowl was a good hour smoke. The second bowl was easier to light, but there was little difference between the two in terms of flavor, although the rubbed out flake was a more airy smoke. First third of the bowl tastes sweet and fruity and reminded me of a mixture of apple pie with cinnamon and a sweet Riesling, although the mouthfeel is more astringent like rhubarb or gooseberry. Uh, the perique builds as you smoke down the bowl and is not as peppery as Dunhill Navy Rolls, having a sweeter feel more akin to sweet chili, which melds with the astringent fruit flavors. Very enjoyable. The room note is nicer, too, than uh, than uh, DLN. This is why, okay, Deluxe Dunhill Deluxe Navy Rolls, but this is why you should never abbreviate this stuff in writing. Take the time, write it out all the way. I've complained about that before. So do that, Pikey Mick. Uh, then he says, uh, seems to hold the ember really well with no need for a relight. Uh, DLN is a bready, yeasty Virginia, whereas this is a sweeter leaf. Towards the end of the bowl, the flavor reminds me of a sorrel with a whiff of almonds. I recommend this to anyone who likes their vapors, and I can't say which I prefer more out of this Dunhill... Uh, deluxe navy rolls because they are both good in their variety in their own individual way thoroughly enjoyable and i will now be looking at looking at other other salani blends to try all right um never mind the fact that i kind of goofed up reading that but there's two different reviews of it i will say uh, I've got a tin that was gifted to me that's now three years old, so I'm interested to open that up and see what the difference is, although I've got tins of tobacco in front of it. And guess what? I really hate having more than two or three tins open at a time, so it's going to have to wait. All right. In uh, just a moment, more with uh, Sykes and Tony and SmokingPipes.com's 20th anniversary. This is Internet Radio. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf. Each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at CND as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us again is uh, Sykes Wilford and Tony Santiago, and we are talking about the uh, yeah the early days of a 20-year-old smokingpipes.com. Uh, Sykes, th this question is purely for you because you were there at the beginning, but... Um, what were you what were you thinking what was what was the initial or the early kind of goal for smokingpipes.com gosh it's a, it's a difficult question um i had a vague sense that pipes would be a good thing to sell on the internet <laughs> and that selling things on the internet was a thing that was going to become really important but i don't want to ascribe more prescience than than i had i remember a conversation uh i had in in I don't know, 2002 maybe, and it was with my dad. And, and he said, well, how big could this thing be? Um, and I threw out a number that is four days of revenue now uh, <laughs> on an annual basis <laughs> um, for the whole company. Uh, and, and, you know, I really didn't know. I just had a sense that things were changing in retail and that pipes were interesting and that pipes were a particularly good candidate because there weren't that many pipe smokers. Like, this was a really niche thing that if you could do it on the Internet, you could reach people geographically all over. Um, and, and that was a tremendous opportunity. Uh, so there were other, other websites that sold pipes and pipe tobacco in those days. And, and pretty much from that era, I mean, a couple have, a couple have survived uh, other, than, other than smoking pipes. But most of them 
you know, just sort of lost their way or did something else or what have you. Um, but, uh, but early on, you know, I thought that there was potential here. I had no idea what kind of potential. Um, but I, you know, I didn't, there was not a concrete plan that (laughs) I, I, I did not look forward and see what would, what would happen. You you didn't invent the wheel. You just made it a little faster and prettier. Tony, was there okay. when was there an aha moment for you when you thought, all right, this company's going to make it, or were there a couple aha moments where you're like, yeah, we we're we're doing good here. Well, certainly the first batch of uh, of Japanese pipes kind of just opened my eyes to the the idea of high grade pipes and uh, the attraction that to pipes as objects of art outside of the functional aspect. But still, uh, you know, our first batch of Togotomis, that was back in Nashville, and, you know, we were still in our infancy. infancy. We, I wouldn't even say we were a real business just yet. But um, the, the moment it became real is when I first came to Myrtle Beach. Um, we had the actual, the new warehouse, a ton of new tobaccos that we, we didn't carry previously in Nashville. Um, and the, the sales were were kind of coming in automatically. I think this is when the the website really kind of came into its own, and we were getting customers that we really didn't have to reach out to as much. Where the we would put pipes on the website, and they would sell off of those updates. So that was that was kind of it for you when it was when it just became kind of a when it actually started doing what it was meant to do. Yeah. Certainly. I mean, uh, I mean, the first order, like Sykes mentioned uh, in the previous episode, it did come in online. But I think a lot of our sales initially were very high touch. Uh, and it, it took some yeah, time absolutely. until until the website started doing its own thing. Yeah. All right. Let, let's talk about that high touch, because uh, I mean, right now you have six or seven customer service people that all get to know their customers and will and will do that high touch for them but uh sykes do you have any uh favorite uh i'm sure you have a couple of customers that have become friends now and you have these uh 20-year relationships with them oh absolutely and tony any any fond memories of uh your favorite customers oh certainly uh i I mean that's one of the aspects i I miss the most and there are customers i i talk to to this day outside of smoking pipes and what are what were some of the things that these customers would want to what would they talk to you about and th- this one goes to either one of you would you know would they ask you to hold the pipe and touch the pipe and or would they talk to you about how the weather is uh, i'll say some it's, it's, yeah some of both but certainly as you get to, to know someone uh outside of a natural kind of friendship that that occurs um there is an aspect of kind of curating a collection for somebody and, and that was an aspect that i really enjoyed was kind of getting a sense of know a, a person's individual taste and preference what kind of shapes they're into and then kind of leading them towards you know brands uh that maybe they haven't tried before or a new pipe maker that wasn't on their radar but that fits that criteria that they just need to have that they're just not aware of i really just love that aspect sykes would you that often was really, that was really fun what's interesting about the sort of life when, when you've worked with the same customer uh, as, as Tony did or I did for, for many, many years that I have, you end up going from getting to know them to really getting to know their pipe interests. And then you talk about pipes less and less because, not because it's less interesting, but because there's just less material to cover. Like there's less learning about the customer to do. It becomes much more like having a conversation with the, with the, with the customer who at that point is often also a friend. So you're talking about their kids and they're asking about your kids and what have you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it becomes much more, the pipes become a, a smaller part of the conversation as time goes on. Um, because we've already had the discussion about whether you like small pipes or big pipes. And then the pipe discussions become, uh, smaller, but also more esoteric. Like, you know, relative merits of bamboo work on Yeskanovich and Nana Everson, <laughs> and less about broadly broad strokes trying to figure figure out what the customer likes. Uh, group three versus group four. Yeah, yeah. Sykes, would yeah, you definitely? Uh, Sykes, would you would you do uh, would you pick pipes or when you were out buying pipes, would you? buy pipes specifically with some of your regular customers in mind? We did a certain amount of, of 
keeping customers in mind when we were picking pipes, particularly if they were asking for very specific things. Um, a lot of pipe buying is just about buying good pipes. And once we were selling enough pipes, and this, this happened fairly early in the life of the company, once we were selling enough pipes, if we were buying good pipes, we would also be able to match up those requests for the most part. So, so that was less... On the one hand, we had we had customer preferences in mind. On the other, um, you don't want to buy to a specific customer request sometimes to the exclusion of other factors, simply because if you buy a not great example of something for a customer, it's, they're not going to want it because it's a not great example of it. <laughs> it's better to just focus on buying good pipes. So get get good pipes, have a good have good product on your website, and then the customers will like it. Yes. And we, of course, have done special orders over the years, and we've, we've looked for specific things for people over the years. But it, it's much more about the pipes and less about who might buy it. Um, I think it's sort of a dangerous slippery slope to go down in the to do too much who might buy it. Tony, when when you got to the when you moved to South Carolina at that point, were you doing any product buying? I wasn't doing product buying initially. Uh, honestly, when I first came to South Carolina, I was working in, in the warehouse, and it was going to be a, a short-term uh, situation, about a year. But has <laughs> the business continued to grow? And uh, as Sykes mentioned, we all were kind of involved in all aspects of the business. Um, I, I didn't want to leave. Uh, just seeing something just kind of change so much in front of you and being a part of that is, is kind of addictive, and you want to see it all the way through. <laughs> so, so what what products did you end up handling or or buying uh so once i i think the, the new york show that i went to was the first one where i actually started uh buying some pipes um and i picked up some uh i think some some beckers uh picked up some more doors uh and for me one of the challenges when it came to buying pipes was to not only buy the pipes that i wanted to to smoke <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> uh and so i i had to kind of realize you know i gotta adjust my purchasing purchasing for the website to be to encompass you know all spectrums including larger pipes i'm a personally a fan of smaller like group four group three size pipes but you need <laughs> to make sure you have some larger ones you got to have some bents and straights and and a wide variety but uh certainly quality is first we need some as long as we have the best pipes the best representation from any given brand they're going to end up selling well so do you have any uh, favorite stories from your uh, first from your from that first building in uh, south carolina uh, there are quite a few stories from that first building in South Carolina. Um, well, the warehouse itself, uh, it wasn't heated or cool. And uh, for some reason, I, th I think the cold tends to follow me wherever I move, uh, <laughs> particularly for that first year. We end up having a, a crazy winter. Um, remember my first winter in Tennessee, it snowed. And sure enough, my first winter in South Carolina, we had an ice storm. Uh, and being in that warehouse without any heating uh, was <laughs> was just a mess. Uh, and I think I've permanently broke my, broken myself from the cold. I can't deal with the cold <laughs> at all now, uh, having survived that winter. Uh, but that, that was a, an interesting one. Uh, uh and we've also heard the story of the uh, of the field mice and all that stuff in that little warehouse. But let's take a break right here, and when we come back, we'll talk about moving to the uh, moving to the what was then the big building. So stay with us. We'll be back with Sykes and Tony in just a minute. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. And we're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with Sykes Wilford and Tony Santiago. All right, um, Sykes, was it your idea to from that from the, from that unheated, unair conditioned warehouse? Was the next move to the building where Low Country Pipe and Cigar is now? Yes. So there were, that that warehouse was always supposed to be temporary. Um, so we had a little bit of like 
kind of sort of office space uh, in that little warehouse, and it had one window unit that we could get a little heat from. But basically the whole thing was, like, we're just going to do something temporary. This is not a good long-term solution. And then we ended up being there for almost two years. <laughs> um, basically while we waited for uh, the the building that, that became sort of the iconic building associated with smoking pipes uh, and where the low country pipe and cigar shop is is still today, uh, waiting for that the renovation on that to get done. Um, so we moved into the that little warehouse and then we started looking for some place to put the company on a more permanent basis. Not at the same time, but within a couple months of each other. Tony, did you think it was crazy? And how are we going to fill up this big building? And what are we going to do with all this space? Uh, certainly, I remember my first walk through the building, um, and uh, I don't know how many how many many of your listeners actually know of the history of our original building, but uh, it was formerly a house of ill repute back in the day. <laughs> um, most re- most recently, it was a, a gentleman's club. But walking through that place, it was it was hard for me to have a vision of what it could be because it needed just so much work and had been so run down. Um, but I just kind of trusted gross. Sykes <laughs> and his vision, and I, I and we went with it. But yeah, my initial impressions were not positive. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there was a little. I mean, that had to be a pretty a uh, pretty gutsy move for for you, Sykes, to to get that building and fit it and clean it up and decorate it the way you did. I was terrified. It was one of these. I didn't really know what I was doing. There's so many stories from the early life of the company that start with I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, this is definitely one of them. But it was this cool old building, and uh, the guy that owned it uh, had been leasing it to a strip club, which was a blight on this part of the county. Like, this this place was awful. Yeah. Um, I mean, by reputation, I knew it was awful. And then we walked around the first day after it stopped operating. And it was just, like, when you actually turn on the lights in a place like that, it's pretty horrifying. <laughs> um, <laughs> um when there's rust on the stripper poles, like that's a bad sign. All of, all of a sudden, <laughs> field mice coming into a warehouse was sounding good to me. Fine, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so we, I mean, we from the, from day one, we knew we were basically going to have to gut it. Um, there were three floors. The third floor was an attic that wasn't wasn't finished when we when we bought it. Um, the second floor was really strangely laid out. Uh, as you might imagine, the second floor of a strip club to be. Um, So we knew we were just going to knock down every wall that wasn't load-bearing and start over. Um, (laughs) And and that's what we did. Um, But that took took quite some time. uh, How long was the renovation process for it? More than a year in the end. And meanwhile, you got poor Tony dying in that warehouse. Yeah, well, I mean, we were all dying a bit. I was slightly closer to the HVAC window unit than Tony was in, in our seating pattern. So, but it was it was generally, it was sort of the extreme sport of the online retail world. <laughs> well, and and I remember my first impression of walking into that building was somebody has built a palace for pipes. So all that work really paid off. Well, thank you, Brian. And. And you were also. Brian, doing... Did you ever see the warehouse, or did you? Were, were the first time you came to visit us in South Carolina? Um, in um, the my memory, the my memory of the first time I visited you in South Carolina was we met at a restaurant, and I thought, well, this is a little odd that we're not meeting at the facility, but maybe it was in, maybe you were in transition at that point. But I we met at a restaurant, and that was it. <laughs> Really? Yeah. I don't even remember that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but then you get, you. I mean, when you opened up that that building, the, so, the, you know, everything was, everything was all in that building, shipping, receiving, and then you had your, uh, Tony, do you remember how many people were working there at that point? Uh, when we first opened up the new building, I think we, we may have had 12 or 13 employees. And that Does was that sound right, right Sykes? Yeah, I mean, I might have been a bit more. Mm-hmm. Initially, we had more shop staff. Um, exactly, yeah. 
and and then yeah, probably twelve or thirteen. And that would have been a yeah. So, all right. Um, when did you guys actually hire a a full time photographer? That was early. That was two thousand three, right, Tony? Adrian? Yeah, that, that was Adrian uh, Harrell. Uh, uh, she, we hired her in two thousand three before we moved to uh, to the the building for Low Country, um, and she that was actually one of the one of the big things uh, for us in terms of improving the quality of the product on the website. Um, but previous to uh, hiring a photographer, Sice was both photographing and describing the pipes. Um, I mean, we all were kind of uh, pitching in in every way that we could. But uh, by hiring a, a photographer, we were able to really step up the quality of the images on the pipes, uh, of the pipes on the website, and just better represent the product on the website. And uh, I think it really it changed the game for smoking pipes. Tony, what, Tony, when was your first Chicago pipe show? The first Chicago pipe show was probably it might have been two thousand four, two thousand five. And what was what was that like for you? Um, it was like the Super Bowl of pipes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, just seeing all of the pipe makers that I kind of looked up to, and you know, uh, really just love their design. Seeing them all in one place was uh, was kind of overwhelming. I mean, the the first day, I think I just was kind of like starstruck. Like, there's Tom Eltang, there's Lars Everson, you know, there's there's Nana Everson. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing to, to see them all. Uh, and what I really took away was that they're just so nice and humble. Um, you know, in my opinion, uh, these guys are like the rock stars of the, the pipe world. But they're just humble uh, human beings just like us and ended up having some really great conversations and made some, some new friends out of that first pipe show. And... and- so was that was that pipe show kind of another aha moment for you of what the pipe world was about? Uh, it definitely was. Um, it gave me context just for the scope of the pipe world, but also smoking pipes place within the pipe world. Um, and at that point, we were, we were still you know a smaller player, but I could see the runway and I could see an avenue for us to continue to grow. And you know, of course. There were pipe makers there that we needed to, to bring onto the website. Uh, there were tobaccos there that I tried that we didn't have that we needed to get on the website. And slowly but surely, we certainly did. So, Sykes, after you move into the building and the and the company owns the building, is that kind of another is that another aha moment for you where you're no longer paying rent? Well, we had some pretty big debts associated with the acquisition and <laughs> upfit of the building. So it's not like rent went away. It actually went up. Yeah. <laughs> so, so did it make you even more nervous at that point or were, or were yes. you like, yeah. yes, yes. So I didn't, I mean, you know, it's funny. It took eight years probably for me to feel really secure in, in the business. Um, and I, I don't mean that in an emotional sense. I mean that in mm-hmm. a financial sense, like there was, there was a sort of new business uh, precariousness to it yeah. um, for a pretty long time. Um, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't until really like two thousand seven, eight, nine, probably more like eight, nine, um, that things were sufficiently routine. Things were sufficiently. We were making consi- consistently making enough money that I, I wasn't always terrified. Um, you know, all the pieces were starting to fall into place. And so, so yeah, like doing that with the building, you know, we, we thought, oh, well, the, the shop is going to drive all this revenue. And it did, um, not as much as we thought. Um, and the rest of the business grew faster, but it just, things don't happen on the time to, in a, in a building, a building a small business, they just don't happen on the timetable that you expect them to. And in some ways, good things can make things harder in the short run. So, you know, for, for cash flow reasons or whatever. And so there was, there was always a certain amount of trying to put the, put the puzzle piece together every month. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, we were always responsible and we always did the right thing, but it, it really wasn't until, until 2008, 2009. I don't know if this matches your memory, Tony, like when we started to go, okay, this isn't scary anymore. (laughs) Oh, it, it definitely does. Um, I mean, uh, we, I think you did a great job of describing it. Like we ended up with, uh, you know, some precarious situations, but it was all a function of our success. But with each new success came 
uh, you know, some new challenges that we had to uh, surmount. And uh, we were young guys just kind of piecing it together. Um, it was kind of an all-hands-on-deck type you atmosphere. really young. Like, when you came down to South Carolina, you were, what, 19? Yep. <laughs> and I was and I was 20, 22 or 23. <laughs> and, at, and at 22, 23, you were the old guy. Yeah. yeah. At that point, I mean, started the business before my 20th birthday. So let's go back to the retail store for a minute because that was – not only was it, you know, was it a functional revenue source, but it was also kind of a requirement for you to get access to the RTDA at that point, wasn't it? Um, yeah. I mean, the big thing, the big thing that the store very directly satisfied is Tom Eltang had been saying for some time, I will start working with you in the U.S. when you have a physical retail shop. Um, and I, I don't know if it was so much about the shop at the time as him just wanting to make sure that if he was going to make a big commitment to a, to another U S company or what would ultimately become a U.S. company, um, that it had roots. Yeah. Like it wasn't going anywhere. And so, so he, he wanted to see that happen before we started working with him. And then the, uh, the other big one was Dunhill. Yeah. Dunhill yeah. Pipes. I was just thinking about Dunhill. That was a, a huge uh, milestone for us, but we weren't able to bring in Dunhill until we had the store up and running. All right, so let, let's talk about that. Who who decided why? Yeah, obviously you wanted Dunhill because that's kind of the that's the Rolex and Cadillac of of brands. But uh, so you had to have a retail store in order to carry them at that point. Yes, actually, that is still the rule. Wow. And uh, Tony, were you looking at it going, well, this is okay. <laughs> what were your thoughts? Were you, were you telling Sykes, um, no, don't, or yes, yes? Oh, yes, yes. I mean, by that point, you know, my knowledge of the industry was kind of uh, mature at that point. And uh, for, in my opinion, for us to, to really become a legitimate player within this industry, we needed to represent on it. We had to have them as well. So, so do you remember how big the first Dunhill update was and how many pipes it might have been? Uh, I think that might have been a record update for us. It might have been the largest update at that point. <laughs> In terms of the value, certainly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was like 30 or 40 Dunhills, which at, by those standards was a terrifying amount on the site, going up on the site at once. Wow. Mm -hmm. Um and well, we we certainly knew about the brand. We knew the cachet, and and it's the Cadillac, a, a Rolls Royce of, of pipes, uh, factory pipes certainly. Um, but having never sold a new one on the website, we didn't know what to expect in terms of initial sales. So it certainly was a leap of faith in terms of that large initial order and that, that first update, but it, it worked out for us. Well, if anything, Sykes would have had a really good collection of unsmoked Dunhills for his rotation. <laughs> yeah, that unsmoked collection would just uh, continue to grow. <laughs> so which one of you went to the first RTDA for the company? I went that was to Sykes. Tampa in 2001. And, uh, and when did... So did you have a smokingpipes.com badge at that point or No, no, David yeah. put me on his his uh David Field. Yeah. Um uh got me a badge on his on his account. When when did uh smokingpipes.com or Laudisi, when did that when did that when did the company actually go to the trade show? Uh actually it was it was 2002. It was an absolute debacle. <laughs> that was uh, the Mirsums. That was the Mirsham. Oh. So, <laughs> I remember that. Well, somebody tell the story. Okay. Yeah, Sykes, Sykes, take it away. <laughs> so we had been working with uh, a, a guy in Turkey um, to import uh, a Mirsham brand and develop a Mirsham brand. And this was, this was one of the, this was a period of like, we were doing lots of different things. We didn't really know what was going to work. Like we'd, we started doing the, this was before we'd, we'd met the Japanese pipe makers. Yep. Um, so we started working with this guy, and, and we were bringing in a lot of pretty nice Mearshams. Um, they were, like, a lot of them were really, really nice. And um, we decided, we knew we couldn't sell all these. I'm like, okay, well, we'll distribute these to, to other shops. So we set up 
distributor pricing and, 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 you know, pricing retailers and went through all of that. And we started talking to other shops and Uptowns took a few. They were in, in town with us in Nashville. And we, we went to, we got one booth and we went to IP Secure, but we had no idea how trade shows <laughs> worked. So we didn't realize that you, you had a booth that was like constructed. We didn't realize that you even, you know, we just had a banner, like one of those vinyl printed on white background <laughs> yeah. banners. Um, we just had four tables that the booth came with and two chairs. We didn't have, we only had two chairs. So we, uh, John Tillman, who was working for the company at the time, and I, um, and at this point, Tony, you, were you in that, had you started yet or were you, did you stay in Nashville? I was I was in Nashville. I was in Nashville. Okay. I helped with the prep for that, but that show happened right uh, almost concurrently with the move to to Myrtle Beach. It was about six months. Yeah, it was about six months before the move. Yeah, or five <laughs> months before the move. I'm sure it seems like all the same time now. It so definitely blends we together. Put, we put 400 nursing pipes in the back of my 1996 Ford F-150 uh, and drove them <laughs> from Nashville to. Las Vegas, and we were—we thought we were going to do this over a couple of days, but we were increasingly running out of time because the shipment from Turkey didn't arrive when we expected it to. Oh, no. So Tony and John Tillman and I laid all of them out on the floor of the warehouse, like just to get them like organized into the right. We had to take them out of the cases to see what they were, because all the little paperwork was inside the, the merchant cases. Um, and so, uh, so we had these all laid out and trying to reorganize them. Like the night before we go on a 30 something hour drive (laughs) and then John Tillman and I just team drove it. We just took turns, um, from, from Nashville to Las Vegas, which by the way, if you've never done it is a long, long way to drive. (laughs) (laughs) So you made it. (laughs) We made it. Um, uh, and then Bear Graves actually, uh, drove up from Arizona and met us there um, <laughs> just to help out with the show. And, and how and did he the, work for the company at that point? He was, we were just friends. How did the, uh, how did the Meersham sales go at the, uh, at the trade show? Oh, it was a disaster. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. Uh, Rick Hopkins, thank God, bought, I don't know, 15 or 18. And, and I think that kept us from selling, like, I think aside from that, we sold two. Um, so thank you, Rick. You were, you were, you were kind to a young man trying to sell some Mearsham a very long time ago. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think we sold 20 pipes and all. It was a disaster. So that was kind of a, that was a real first wholesale experience. And then La DC ends up, uh, what, about 10 years later, picking up the Savinelli business in the u.s yeah we were very different companies between those two times yeah 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 there was there was a lot more people that actually had like gray hair like one or two yeah by that time i had some i think um not as much as i have now but uh yeah it was about 10 years between our forays into distribution and so I mean, this is this is really just kind of capping off the uh, you know the first ten years of the company because then Tony, uh, you you wanted to leave and go back to go back to school and finish your degree because Sykes had kind of kidnapped you and seduced you with all this wonderful uh, pipe world and but you wanted to go back and and do real stuff, right? Yeah. So uh, ended up making that decision at the end of uh, two thousand nine. And finally made the move uh, in January of 2010, just because, uh, you know, for personal reasons. And I, I did end up foregoing the undergraduate degree to pursue this opportunity, which was phenomenal. But it was something that was just kind of hanging over my head and a uh, goal that I, I wanted to uh, accomplish. And so in, in 2010, I ended up uh, parting ways with the company and moving to Atlanta to wrap up my undergraduate degree. I can I can tell you right now that by the time I got there, Sykes and Tony as a partnership had set the groundwork for everything that is going on now, and that's why I wanted to have Tony come back on. Um, Tony, real quickly, what are you doing now? 
So currently, uh, I'm living in Atlanta, and I, I work for UPS over at their corporate headquarters. Uh, I've been doing some uh, data science and uh, forecasting for them uh, for their international business, and uh, now I'm working on the domestic side. So big change from uh, the smoking pipe days, but I, I'll, I'll be around. So I'm sure your office is heated and air-conditioned, too. It's slightly slightly nicer digs than the first digs down there in Myrtle Beach, but not quite as nice as uh, as uh, our shop. <laughs> yeah. Sykes, any other any other stories you wanna you wanna tell before we uh, before I torture Tony with the fast five final questions? Not really, Brian. You know, I I, I look back on that period from two thousand and three to two thousand and the end of two thousand and nine. Uh, when, when Tony was there as, as the transition from, we have absolutely no idea what we're doing to, we have some idea of what we're doing. And, and, you know, so the transition from, this isn't really a business. Like we, we have not constructed anything here. We're just trying stuff and seeing what works out. And so we, we actually were a business and we had routine and, and routine is really important for businesses, uh, as I, as I came to discover. Um, and, and it, and it worked and, you know, we did staff grew to about, gosh, by the end of 2009, maybe 20, 25 people. Yeah, I think um, there was 25. And uh, and it was like it was like a real business by the end of 2009. But there was an awful lot along the way where it was Tony and me and a handful of other people, but mostly. And I don't want to write those other people out of the out of the narrative. But but a lot of Tony and me just like at the office at nine o'clock at night, working back to back on different projects, trying to sell pipes, trying to buy pipes, trying to stay on top of customer inquiries, trying to get a newsletter out. There was just an awful lot of, we're going to keep doing this and we're going to build it. And it's, it, it was, it was exhausting <laughs> and it was really hard. And sometimes it was discouraging, but, but mostly I remember it being really fun. Um, like it was one of those like you look back on a marathon, you run a marathon, it's not very pleasant. You look back on it, not that I've ever run a marathon, but I'm just speculating on what it might feel like <laughs> to run a marathon. <laughs> you look back, you know, a year, two years later and you look back on it and you go, Wow, that was so much fun. And um and that's probably probably my my memory playing playing tricks on me to some degree, but there was something so cool about just sort of making it up as we were as we were going along and having an idea and being able to go from idea to implementation in an afternoon yeah. um and, and making well, yeah i don't think your memory is playing tricks on you we really did have a, a tremendous amount of fun uh despite the long hours and uh you know the seemingly never-ending list of, of things that need to be done yesterday but uh we had a, a ball and I, I really look back fondly on that time period so i, I do too and I can and I can tell you, it, there is no marathon runner in this world that could do a that could work a smokingpipes.com Chicago pipe show schedule and survive it. <laughs> <laughs> all I all I can remember was just every night going to bed absolutely exhausted, but I had this huge smile on my face of all the fun and all the stuff we'd done. But I mean, man, if you ba the beds at the Chicago Pipe Show for for smokingpipes.com, if you paid if you figured out the room cost per hour that you're actually in the bed, it was probably about seventy five dollars an hour for sleep. Yeah, there's not a lot not a lot of rest that happened. Yeah. All right, Tony, we'll wrap this up with the traditional fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind, and this this is just for you. Are you ready? Let's do it. What is your favorite pipe? Kaiji Goto Sandblast. Dang. Dropping the bomb right there. Okay. Um, <laughs> what is your favorite tobacco? Ooh, favorite tobacco. I would probably say Desert Island tobacco would be Kyra from GLPs. And what is your favorite drink? Woodford Reserve bourbon. When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Music. And then finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory that we haven't talked about? Um, there's too many to yeah. to recount. Um, one that well, one that got a lot of 
Oh, strange looks at Chicago show was smoking a cigar out of the aforementioned Kaichi Goto sandblast. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, I got what? some odd, odd looks after when I was doing that one. <laughs> wait, you took a Goto sandblast and put a cigar in the bowl? Yeah, but it was a, it was a Monty. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, <laughs> Uh, Sykes, real quick, anything anything special on the horizon for the 20th anniversary? I know you guys have been rolling out all these really cool pipe series and stuff like that. Anything uh, coming in October, November? So, maybe. Not telling. <laughs> okay. No, we got we got more stuff happening, but I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say what it is just yet. Uh, we got some more stuff coming in September, and then. Uh, I don't know if there's anything happening in November. We're skipping straight to uh, anything happening in October. We're skipping straight to November. Um, we got we got a few more things in the uh, in the hopper. Uh, when exactly they happen depends in part on when they get done and whether COVID you know COVID pandemic lockdown stuff just makes everything more unpredictable than it used to be in terms of moving stuff around the world. So you know, yeah. there's always a certain amount of built-in. Yeah, we're going to do that, but we don't know when going on in our worlds right now. Well, if, um, you, if you need some so help, we got some more fun stuff on the horizon. If you need some help at UPS, I'm sure Tony will help you get stuff moved around. Certainly, just give me a shout. <laughs> <laughs> will do. Sykes Wilford, Tony Santiago, thank you very much for doing this. And uh, you know, what? Let, let's do it again in ten years when we're doing the thirtieth anniversary. Now, nah, let's not wait that long. We'll do the twenty-fifth anniversary. How's that sound? Sounds like a plan. Thank you so much, Brian. Yeah, thank you for having me, Brian. I appreciate it. And we'll be back in just a minute. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog in the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> In fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. This is Internet Radio. And we're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And, uh, yeah, keep an, keep an eye out on uh, SmokingPipes.com for all those uh, uh, 20th anniversary pipes that are coming out and all the cool stuff that they're probably going to do in October, November. Anyway, I don't know. I'll be watching. Um, if you're not already signed up for their emails, you get uh, an email alert on Monday and Thursday when the new updates go up. All right, for music and based off of the fact that I am down in Florida right now, uh, how about Albert King, one of the three kings, and uh, Albert King doing Traveling Man. I left my home in Texas. I moved to Arkansas. Now if you think I'm going back again, oh, but girl, no, no, cause I'm a traveling man. I say I'm a traveling man. I don't want to lose this groove. I got to move. I'm a traveling man. I've been in every town. I've been to every state. Trying to find the woman I love I'm searching for my mate Cause I'm a traveling man Hey, hey, I'm a traveling man I don't want to lose this groove I tell you I got to move Cause I'm a traveling man
If I could play guitar like that, well, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. Check your mailbox, you moron! And remember, comments or questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. And if you uh, if you want to, you can post on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on pipesmagazine.com. You can give us an iTunes rating and review. We'd greatly appreciate all that. All right. Obviously, since I'm traveling and I recorded this one way early, not uh, nothing in the mailbag to really tackle except to say this. Uh, I will no longer be acting as a independent travel planner and uh, an independent vacation planner or a travel agent. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't reach out to me and help and ask questions. You will be able to reach me on uh, Facebook, Instagram, or Brian at PipesMagazine.com. I'm more than happy to help you out with advice. I am more than happy to direct you to the right MEI agent to do this. Uh, however, it just came down to a time and money issue and, uh, going forward into the next year or two, it looks like there's going to be, um, not a lot of travel business going on. There will be some really good deals. And as soon as I think they're okay to go on, I will let you know. But again, I've just decided that, uh, you know, there, there's a annual investment in money and in time that I have to make, and it wasn't going to be beneficial for next year. So, with that being said, um, don't email me at the brian at mei-travel.com anymore. Uh, email me at brian at pipesmagazine.com. And in just a moment, we will have rant time. There's nothing quite like a good book. Or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. Cowboy. Cowboy. Let's talk about time. Time is the only thing that if you waste it, you can't get it back. No, you cannot. You know, if you spend a day working on something and and it just doesn't work, well, you can't get that time back. And that's part of uh, following up on stopping uh, selling travel or the, the vacation planning little thing is that I was looking at an amount of time and effort spent and for what the benefits were going to be going forward for the next year or two. I just felt like it wasn't an effective use of my time to, uh, to do that. And I, and I remind you when, you, when you go to a doctor's appointment and the doctor's running late and you're sitting there in the waiting room, well, that's an hour that you can't get back or whatever it is. You want to make sure that, you know, that you're going to places and dealing with people that value your time as an important commodity that you can't get back if you waste it. Uh, I'm reminded of a certain uh, Lowe's home improvement store that said that they had something in stock and I got in the car and drove over there and walked around and looked and then stopped and asked and they said, no, our... Our system says, yeah, we have 20-something in stock, but we don't have any really here because the system doesn't work. So that was an hour out of my day, hour and 20 minutes wasted driving back and forth. And when I went to Lowe's, when I called Lowe's and they said, yeah, sorry, we'll give you a $10 gift card. I said, my time's worth more than $10. I just won't shop there anymore. Because if you waste my time, I can't get it back. So how am I supposed to put a value on an hour and 20 minutes that I spent doing that? You know, those little things are going to happen all through your life, but make sure if you minimize them and use your time as wisely as possible, you'll find that you have more time in the day. You have more time to smoke your pipe. 
and you know what really when you sit down and smoke your pipe time kind of slows down so you get more out of it so there you go all right speaking of time thank you very much to sykes and tony for joining me and uh, telling those stories thank you all for tuning in and until next time Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to I'm not going to help you make an idiot out of yourself. I don't need your help. I'll do it myself. <laughs>